Eccentrics Podcast Network. This is another quick dip, another dip between the dives, if you will. Uh, I'm your host, Joshua Holt, and my co-host, David Kent. All right, Dave. Uh, So, uh, we are just uh, about 45 minutes or an hour removed from seeing the new Halloween movie, Halloween 2018. Um, This has kind of been a a long project for us to, to get ready for the movie. Um, you know, we've you know, watched a lot of YouTube videos, had a lot of uh, off mic discussions. Uh, we had planned a, a whole series around it, but we decided to just uh, make a good review. So, uh, point blank, did you like the movie? I really like the movie. Um, I believe that it it works better as a suspense, suspense film than it does a horror film. By the way, this is spoiler, uh, completely full of spoilers. Uh, we're not going to go spoiler free here. So, if for some reason you do not want to hear about the movie uh, and you're going to go out and see it, then I would recommend skipping this episode for right now. Um, but again, I did thoroughly enjoy the movie. I thought it was great uh, compared to some of the other recent Halloween movies that have been out. Uh, and I, I think it's definitely worth its praise. Uh, before we jump into spoilers, I just want to say it's, if not my favorite, probably my second favorite uh, of the franchise. Uh, not that there are very many that even <laughs> uh, would garner much praise at all if you uh, look at some of the um, the poor uh, entries. Uh, okay, let's uh, jump into spoilers. Um, what's your favorite part of the movie? Uh, I, I liked, actually, I, I pointed it out whenever we were sitting there watching the film. Uh, there's a point where Michael Myers comes out. Uh, he's it, it, The whole point of the movie is that he's he's broken out from uh, transferring from one facility to another and, and a bus crashes and he gets out and he goes on a pretty much a rampage looking for Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie. Um, I, there was a long shot that showed him walking through the neighborhood during an actual Halloween uh, day and night uh, while everybody was out trick-or-treating. He was out causing mayhem and, and destruction and, and making kills. Uh, and this was a long shot that lasted maybe I think seven or eight minutes and it, it just showed that, you know, he could go from one thing to another thing to another thing. And it, it kind of gave you like a, a little bit of insight of what he saw from his point of view. Yep. Uh, they gave, they even give you a bit of a taste uh, of that in the trailer, but to actually see it executed on film was really, uh, really masterful. Um, and just a quick aside, you know, the first time I ever saw something like that, uh, it was in uh, one of the episodes of uh, true detective in the first season, you know, very similar, actually kind of going through different doors and different streets. Um, so just a, a quick history for me, um, not much scares me when it comes to movies, uh, or TV shows, uh, maybe some of the supernatural does, but as a kid, the one that really scared me was Michael Myers. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of developed like a bit of a fascination with it because I was always felt like I was, you know, conquering a fear, uh, when I was was watching the Halloween movies and I I had that fear, uh, at a a few points during the movie where I could feel my heart rate just go, uh, especially in the last, uh, 10 minutes or so, um, when he's actually inside Lori's house and she is looking for him and you know, he's around, like, you know, he's there. And uh, one of the things I really appreciated about the ending um, is that she's got these gates that are closing off rooms in the house. And like you see this, this small look on her face. She's like, okay, there's only one more room. Because, you know, she's processing. Right, she's already checked all the, the rest of the house and she's like, I've, I finally got him. This is where he's at. Right. And that just shows what a talent Jamie Lee Curtis really is to be able to just show that with one look. She's like, oh. Here's, here he is. Yes. 
Um, so what did you think about seeing him without his mask so much? Like, we even got a couple really good glimpses of his face. There was just a little bit of a glimpse of his face. It was more back shots than anything else. There were hints that maybe they would turn around the camera to see actual his, you know, his whole body that he had. Uh, you see him standing in, in the middle of a, a uh, an asylum. He's been sectioned off and quarantined from, from other people where other people can't get close to him. Uh, you see a long shot of his back and what he is, and you see everybody else around him freaking out. You never see his face at that point. Right. I feel like the only time you maybe got like a really good shot of his face is when he, he pulls up in, at the at the gas station in the yeah. truck. And at one point when he's at the asylum, he turns and you see where uh, 40 years before Lori had uh, stuck him in the eye with the hanger. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's get into that. I, I really felt like they showed so much uh, reverence and respect for the original film um, you know, with a lot of great throwbacks to uh, you know, whether it was uh, uh, him hiding in a closet uh, several times. And you know that really drove home this like weird childlike nature that he has. Right, like maybe he was playing hide-and-seek to be able to uh, kind of execute his murders that he had, but there was still a little bit of innocence with it, even though that everything was maniacal. Well, and I, uh, I think his first kill, once um, he gets into the neighborhood, he killed a couple people before that, of course. Yes. Um, he killed a kid um, early in the movie, which that surprised me. I didn't expect that. Um, so he kills a woman, and then he has a chance to kill a baby. Like, he hesitates. Yeah. And he decides that, I guess he's deciding that the baby can't hurt him. That, that That's what I got from it. I thought that was interesting, too. I know that you kind of nudged me and kind of pointed it out that, you yeah. know, that he didn't kill the kid in, in the shot where he has no qualms killing anyone else that's in, in the movie. Yeah. Anybody else are just obstacles. Right. And I, I found it really surprising that, well, I wasn't surprised just from the sense that I knew that they wouldn't go there. Um, you know, cause it's still, well, I don't know how you would be able to be able to do it unless it was off camera, but even then you wouldn't want to see the aftermath of what it was. Yeah, Things like that like are you, almost too jarring that you it's can't, like you can't make it back. Right. Uh, from that. Yeah. Um, even the other really small kid, uh, in the movie that was, a uh, his babysitter was killed, but he made it. Well, how, how old do you think he was? Maybe no, no more than 10 years old. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the one kid was like a young teenager. Probably. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, some of it was a little jarring, uh, but it it all flowed really well. Uh, like you, you kind of knew where things were going, but yeah, it still had a nice surprise. Um, so, how did you feel about some of the uh, secondary characters, like the sheriff and uh, the crazy doctor, and uh, uh, ironically, the podcasters that didn't make it? <laughs> well, there were podcasters at the very beginning of the movie who were trying to do history and research on Michael Myers in forty years. They were traveling to go see Michael Myers. They had acquired the mask that he worn, and they also went to go see Lori to be able to interview her, offering her $3,000 to be able to tell her story. At, at one point in the movie, they stop at a gas station after Michael was already broken out, and they get stuck in a bathroom in a scene where Michael decides to come and kill both of them. Um, I thought that the podcasters kind of carried uh, a reason for the movie to exist uh, starting out because you you're introduced to the doctor there at that point. Uh, If you didn't have the podcasters there, then you wouldn't have a a little bit of insight into how the doctor was at the hospital, uh, seeing how he treated Michael. So I thought both of those played off very well with each other. 
Uh, as for the sheriff, uh, if we're referring to the guy who was in the original movie, I thought he played was played very well. But his partners and and some of the other police officers that were in it, they also seemed kind of like I don't know an afterthought for the most part. I felt like uh, there was there were more parts they could have gave to him, a little bit more character to him. Uh, one of them even pretty much just kind of runs off and says, you know, well, you, you don't believe this stuff actually exists, do you? And, mm-hmm. and and then you have the main character say, well, yeah, it does, and I'm going to find well, out. So uh, the, the sheriff that was eventually killed toward the end, was that actor actually in the first Halloween? Yes, he was. He was He was there whenever – that's that's why they know each other. It's because he was the one who showed up. Even but, the doctor makes no – But that actor played that role? Uh, yes. I didn't know that. I uh, okay. Well, listeners, don't don't hold me to it. I may be incorrect, but I, I felt like that that was actually him. Regardless, the the character that was portrayed in the movie was supposed to be the one that was uh, uh, with Laurie after the murders had had kind of taken place. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so just a quick note. I, I thought it was interesting uh, that the podcasters were British. That they weren't Americans, and I, I kind of felt like there had to be like some a deeper meaning behind that you know i didn't even really think about that uh i know i picked up that they had accents and they were british what it was because that kind of gives you the idea that these myths and these legends have traveled across the pond yeah the way i took it was kind of like others other people's violence isn't or shouldn't be a source of tourism that kind of like our kind of like our um american violence and our like our american um history isn't something to just kind of you know drop in see what it's like and then pull yourself back out well let's even try to relate it to something that could be local here uh what about people that internationally think that like uh something murders took place or or terrible things took place at waverly hills I mean, then you have like an international type of mythology that's with that. I mean, I'm, I know we're, I'm comparing something that's real to something that's fiction, mm-hmm. but you can kind of see the correlation between the two. I, I don't know if it's so much the violence that's attached to it or like a serial killer is attached to it, but just the, the, the whole ideal of being able to seek out that knowledge to be able to define definitive answers, whether or not it's true. Right. But I, th- I thought there was a, maybe just a little bit of interesting commentary on a glamorizing death and uh, glamorizing... I guess somebody snapping and killing people. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Because the way we kind of glamorize serial killers like Manson. Because whenever he's in the, the asylum, he's actually trying to provoke uh, yeah. uh, Michael to, to say something. He's like, look at the mask and, and everybody else that's around him is just freaking out because they, they want him to say something, even though Michael has enough restraint to be able not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just thought that was an interesting piece. Um, so I guess let's get into our big final question that we've been arguing about uh, for the last uh, five or 10 minutes. Um, before we started doing the podcast. So um, at the end, blah, 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 Michael kills a ton of people to set up the ending, you know, kind of what we expect. Right. It, it's, a, it's a very predictable movie because, I mean, you know the, the characters, you know what's going to happen, right. you know what the ending is going to be. It, it's like you know what the final showdown is going to be. So uh, he makes it to Lori's house, and Lori has this um, kind of elaborate panic room uh, that's in the basement. And, of course, Michael... Uh, gets in and um, basically it's set up where that's an incinerator. Uh, so you're led to believe that uh, Lori, her daughter and her granddaughter finally killed Michael Myers. Yes. Uh, that's what you are expected to believe as you're walking out. Yes. So our point of contention one is whether or not uh, he's actually dead 
and they're trying to end this in the franchise or set it up a franchise. Uh, the other question is that um, Lori's granddaughter eventually stabs Michael, knocks him back down the stairs, and allows them to turn the incinerator on. So at one point, she never drops the knife. So I think when you saw that she didn't drop the knife, you got a flashback to Halloween 5 when um, uh, the the little girl, I can't remember her name, I've, I haven't seen those movies enough. Right. Where she, like her, her, the negative power from Michael Myers is transferred to her and she kills her mother and she's holding the knife. Right. That's what you thought of. That's what I thought. But let's let's address the, the first question that we have here. Okay. Whether or not Michael Myers is actually dead. Uh, we we see that he's trapped in the basement. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, an elaborate trap to be able to uh, knock him back, and then spikes come and they close him into the basement. She hits a switch, which causes gas to to fill up the room and the houses. She throws on the flare, and and things ignite, which causes the the house to completely set on fire. We don't actually see Michael except for one one shot where he's standing inside the fire. Right, but you're you're not led to believe that he actually is actually dying in that fire itself. Yeah, uh, what I picked up on was that everything is engulfed in flames, other than him. Right, because we we see the the main characters, the main three characters. We see Jamie Lee Curtis and her daughter, and then her granddaughter walk away to to help and safety as they're flying down a truck. But we never really see Michael walk out of the house, nor do we know if he's actually still stuck in the house. Right. Now there were some shots where you would normally see him come out. Yes. Like in Halloween 2, he gets blown up and then he comes out and he's on fire. Right. Which makes sense because then you can kind of, well, like, okay, he must be on fire. He must, this yeah. is the, this is the point where he does die. Yeah. Uh, like the entire house explodes here. Um, I get the sense that he's dead, but in the true nature of the series, you don't know for sure. Right. Because he possesses the supernatural power to be able to fight off whatever type of death there is in yeah. every other movie except for the very first one. Uh, which this is when is a direct sequel to uh, even in the first one and in this one, he's able to take multiple amounts of bullets. Well, hits, I, mean, I mean, this stabs. is, well, this is the second or third time they scrapped it. So it's like you have H2O. So that means they scrapped four five and six. Yes. Um, he, he didn't strike me as having a supernatural element necessarily. Um, especially in the first movie, I, I think I just took it as, his will makes him hard to kill. That could be true, yes. That, that's what I took from it. Now, I think what's fun is that you can debate it. So, just um, so we don't go too long here, do you think they'll do more Halloween movies now? I think they could create a sequel with this one because the ending is so ambiguous. Okay. I don't think they will. I, I think that they wrote this to be the perfect ending. That he's gone. Uh, the, these people he's terrorized can actually move on with their life. But so much happens to Lori's daughter and granddaughter that they have this new trauma. Well, even her daughter's traumatized all throughout her life, trying to run away from what she was traumatized, not giving it to her daughter, even though it's kind of it's kind of ironic because her daughter's trying to find out answers to 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 what her grandmother went through and what her mom went through, even though they're trying to hide it from her as much as she can. Right. Uh, So you're right. They do have this trauma and then they have these things to be able to awaken them up, to be able to kind of fully realize that maybe they have the potential to to to, to create something else that's different from it. Uh, Sort of a a PTSD type problem. Right. And it's also kind of interesting, like how quickly they all just kind of get over that these new people in their life are, are dead. 
so I don't know. Uh, we could probably do a, a long, long conversation on that. It would be an interesting conversation. Uh, we talked off mic about uh, we have two different opposing. This will go to our second question. We'll go ahead and try to wrap it up with this. But Josh takes it as the the point of, again, she has the the knife in her hand, which means that she's a strong person. And this is the granddaughter. This is the granddaughter. Yeah, because that's the last shot saying that. Uh, she's not going to let her guard down. Whereas in which film did you say it was? The, the first movie, Jamie Lee Curtis drops the knife and gives him the opportunity to attack her again. Right. Now in, <clears throat> in this, since she's at the end of it and she's holding on to the knife, then she that's kind of showing that her character is a little bit stronger willed since it, she'd gone through all that trauma and she is a different person other than what her mother and her grandmother was. I saw it as her becoming the enemy, her becoming the bad guy. Um, because she did go through all this trauma and she's she's starting to realize that everything that she thought was a myth and a legend actually came true it's all real right so if all that's real then maybe it awoken something that's that's instilled in 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 each one of the generation's mind and in their, in their soul or their body uh jamie lee curtis herself could be a bad guy she's an equal to what michael is you can't have one without the other which would also be passed down to her daughter which would been passed down to her granddaughter so i take the stance of well, maybe she could become the next Michael Myers. And I think that that could be a completely different type of series, or it could be a sequel uh, taken off from whatever this is in a completely different direction. Now, you you could have not necessarily Michael. You could say, well, he was dead, but it could be the same type of, of story because you you have characters that are so close to each other and what they do, like you're saying, they they don't care that some of these these people that are close to them are dying. They don't care that they're actually harming people. They don't care that they're they're actually stabbing and, and part of this trauma. Uh, it, so they have a lot of characteristics that are, that are like just like Michael Myers. Hmm. Okay. Despite all of that, I, I, I still feel like the imagery of her ho- uh, holding onto the knife and keeping it close, especially if you take into account our, our kind of current cultural um, issues we're talking about today of uh, women gaining some type of power and yes. protecting themselves yeah. and, and um, finding the empowerment that they need to f- fight their oppressors in one way or another. Uh, not to make this a, a quote, Me Too movie, but I, I think that is the statement that they're making is that this woman, is this granddaughter now is not taking anything for granted. She's seen what the real life, real world is like. She herself was not harmed physically, but she knows the trauma that can be inflicted. She knows the power that her oppressors and, and what and what evil can do. So her guard is up. Yes. So I think that's where it is. Okay. Well, I can I can definitely see that too. So I mean, we have two opposing views on one the way it is. I, I kind of take it more as a, a movie end, and you take it more as a uh, a real life type. Um, uh, relating to real life issues that are going on, and I'll also take it as a as a as a not putting the first movie and the last movie together. Okay, you know that iconic air part of the knife. So uh, I think that's gonna you know uh, wrap it up for us here. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie. I'll, I'll probably see it again. Um, like I said, I, I wouldn't call it a, a quote unquote scary movie because we've seen enough of this character and what he does to to kind of see where things go. Uh, but there's great suspense. Uh, and just for a, a, a film nerd, there's some great moments. And we forgot our favorite moment. Uh, at one point, uh, Michael knocks Lori off of a balcony and he thinks that she's dead. He looks back, she's gone, and it hits you with the music. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's just a great nod to the to the original series. That That's like an all-time moment for me. Right. Because it was funny and it brought 
every feeling and theme home all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. All right. Well, this is another uh, dip. To, uh, <laughs> sorry, another dip between the dives with uh, Dave and Josh. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye.